Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, part seven? Seven. I believe. Wow. Wow. We've already come so far. Um, I'd like to thank all the people who are listening. Yeah. Uh, there are a bunch of you, and you've like tweeted nice things about us and left like comments on iTunes, which we didn't even ask you to. Wow. Reviews. Reviews. Uh, so... Um, Thanks for th- thanks for that. Whoever said th- gave a review that said we were infinite cast the pod jest that made us both laugh. That made us laugh. Har har. Har har. Ha ha. Ha ha. Um, I feel like I'm already you know I'm getting so much out of this. I feel like my brain is expanding. I'm getting more references. Ooh. I'm more charming to women. More assertive to men. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's all really coming together. You just know you got this in your back pocket. I, I know. Uh, yeah. And I'm we're only like what fifty pages into it. Yeah. I'm just think about how big my brain is going to be. It's going to be huge. <laughs> in another year or two. You're going to look like that guy in uh, Venture Brothers. His brain is yeah, open. You're going to look like Billy Quiz Boy. Yeah, like Billy Quiz Boy. Yeah. Um, oh, just on the listener thing before we get into it, um, we have an email address. If you do listen to this and want to send us emails or like maybe suggest guests or something for when we ever start having them, I believe our email address is the infinite cast pod. Is that right? At gmail.com. Which the infinite cast pod. I tried a lot of permutations of infinite cast pod, jest pod, infinite cast. Uh, but I realize now how stupid it is to have the last two words of it say cast pod. Cast pod. But I think the infinite the podcast was pod. already taken. It was yeah. a cast iron pod. Anyway, that's enough opening banter. The infinite cast pod at gmail.com. Shall so we get into today's selection? We shall. All right. So we met Orin last time. Orin. Orin and Condenza. Now we're going back to Hal. Okay, great. In the year of the Depend Adult Undergarment. Here's Hal in Condenza, age 17, with his little brass one-hitter, getting covertly high in the Enfield Tennis Academy's underground pump room and exhaling palely into an industrial exhaust fan. An underground pump room is a great place to get high when you're mm-hmm. 17. It's, uh, we're going to hear more about it. It's the sad little interval after afternoon matches and conditioning, but before the Academy's communal supper. Hal is by himself down here, and nobody knows where he is or what he's doing. Hal likes to get high in secret, but a bigger secret is that he's as attached to the secrecy as he is to getting high. A one-hitter, sort of like a long FDR-type cigarette holder whose end is packed with a pinch of good dope, gets hot and is hard on the mouth, the brass ones especially. But one-hitters have the advantage of efficiency. Every particle of ignited pot gets inhaled. There's none of the incidental second-hand-type smoke from a party bowl's big load, and Hal can take every iota way down deep and hold his breath forever, so that even his exhalations are no more than slightly pale and sick-sweet-smelling. Total utilization of available resources equals lack of publicly detectable waste. The Academy's tennis court's lungs pump room is underground and accessible only by tunnel. ETA is abundantly and branchingly tunneled. This is by design. Plus, one-hitters are small, which is good, because let's face it, anything you use to smoke high-resin dope with is going to stink. A bong is big, and its stink is going to be, like, commensurately big. Plus, you have the foul bong water to deal with. Pipes are smaller and at least portable, but they always come with only a multi-hit party bowl that disperses non-utilized smoke over a wide area. A one-hitter can be wastelessly employed, then allowed to cool, 
wrapped in two baggies, and then further wrapped and sealed in a Ziploc, and then enclosed in two sports socks in a gear bag, along with the lighter and eye drops and mint pellets and the little film case of dope itself. And it's highly portable and odor-free and basically totally covert. As far as Hal knows, colleagues Michael Pemulus, Jim Struck, <laughs> Bridget C. Boone, Jim Trolch, Ted Schacht, Trevor Axford, and possibly Kyle D. Coyle, and Tall Paul Shaw, and remotely possibly Franny Unwin all know Hal gets regularly covertly high. It's also not impossible that Bernadette Longley knows, actually. And of course, the unpleasant Kay Freer always has suspicions of all kinds. And Hal's brother Mario knows a thing or two. He's another brother? No, it's remember Mario's was the one talking to him in bed, keeping him up. Okay. He's got two brothers. Orin and Mario. Okay. Orin and Mario. We'll learn more about him. But that's it in terms of public knowledge. And but even though Pemulus and Struck and Boone and Trolch and Axford and occasionally, in a sort of medicinal or touristic way, Stice and Schacht are all known to get high also, Hal has actually gotten actively high only with Pemulus on the rare occasions he's gotten high with anybody else, as in person, as in in person, which he avoids. He'd forgot. Ortho the Darkness Stice of Partridge, Kansas knows, and Hal's older brother Orin, mysteriously, even long distance, seems to know more than he's coming right out and saying, unless Hal's reading more into some of the phone comments than are there. Hal's mother, Mrs. Avril and Condenza, and her adoptive brother, Dr. Charles Tavis, the current ETA headmaster, both know Hal drinks alcohol sometimes, like on weekend nights with Trolch, or maybe Axford down the hill at clubs on Commonwealth Ave. The unexamined life has its notorious blind bouncer night every Friday where they card you on the honor system. Mrs. Avril and Condenza isn't crazy about the idea of Hal drinking, mostly because of the way his father had drunk when alive, and reportedly his father's own father before him in AZ and CA. But... Hal's academic precocity, and especially his late competitive success on the junior circuit, make it clear that he's able to handle whatever modest amounts she's pretty sure he consumes. There's no way someone can seriously abuse a substance and perform at top scholarly and athletic levels, the ETA psych counselor Dr. Rusk assures her, especially the high-level athletic part. And Avril feels it's important that a concerned but unsmothering single parent know when to let go somewhat and let the two high-functioning of her three sons make their own possible mistakes and learn from their own valid experience, no matter how much the secret worry about mistakes tears her gizzard out, the mother's. And Charles supports whatever personal decisions she makes in conscious about her children. And God knows she'd rather have Hal having a few glasses of beer every so often than absorbing God alone knows what sort of esoteric designer compounds with reptilian Michael Pemulus and trail of slime leaving James Struck, both of whom <laughs> give Avril a howling case of the maternal fantods. And ultimately, she's told doctors Rusk and Tavis, she'd rather have Hal abide in the security of the knowledge that his mother trusts him, that she's trusting and supportive, and doesn't judge or gizzard tear or wring her fine hands over his having, for instance, a glass of Canadian ale with friends every now and again, <laughs> and so works tremendously hard. Not Canadian? Is he a Molson fit boy? Maybe. Maybe yeah, maybe it's like a, a sexy foreign beard. Given the whole yeah, what uh, Ameri- the time? Oh, like, it's a it's domestic because it's uh, the oh yes organized the, the, in the North American the states. 
uh, Canadian ale with friends every now and again, and so works tremendously hard to mat- to hide her maternal dread of his possibly ever drinking like James himself or James's father, all so that Hal might enjoy the security of feeling that he can be upfront with her about issues like drinking and not feel like he has to hide anything from her under any circumstances. Dr. Tavis and Dolores Rusk have privately discussed the fact that not least among the phobic stressors Avril suffers so uncomplainingly with is a black phobic dread of hiding or secrecy in all possible forms with respect to her sons. Avril and C.T. know nothing about Hal's penchants for high-resin Bob Hope and underground absorption, which fact Hal obviously likes a lot on some level, though he's never given much thought to why, to why he likes it so much. ETA's hilltop grounds are traversable by tunnel. Avril I, for example, who never leaves the grounds anymore, rarely travels above ground, willing to hunch to take the off tunnels between Headmaster's house and her office next to Charles Tavis's in the Community and Administration Building, a pink-bricked, white-pillared, neo-Georgian thing that Hal's brother Mario says looks like a cube that has swallowed a ball too big for its stomach. (laughs) Two sets of elevators and one of stairs run between the lobby, reception area, and administrative offices on ComAd's first floor and the weight room, sauna, and locker shower areas on the sublevel below it. One large tunnel of elephant-colored cement leads from just off the boys' showers to the mammoth laundry room below the west courts, and two smaller tunnels radiate from the sauna area south and east to the sub-basements of the smaller, spherocubular proto-Georgian buildings housing classrooms and subdormitories B and D. These two basements and smaller tunnels often serve as student storage space and hallways between various pro-rectors' private rooms. We turn now to... Footnote number four, which I think will be short. Those younger staffers who double as academic and athletic instructors are, by convention at North American Tennis Academies, known as pro-rectors. Great. Great. Uh, Then two even smaller tunnels, navigable by any adult willing to assume a kind of knuckle-dragging simian posture, in turn connect each of the sub-basements to the former optical and film development facilities of Leith and Ogilvy and the late Dr. James O. Incandenza, now deceased, uh, below and just west of the headmaster's house, from which facilities there's also a fair diameter tunnel that goes straight to the lowest level of the community and administration building, but its functions have gradually changed over four years, and it's now too full of exposed wiring and hot water pipes and heating ducts to be really passable. And to the offices of the physical plant, almost directly below the center row of ETA outdoor tennis courts, which offices and custodial lounge are in turn connected to ETA's lung storage and pump rooms via a pargeted tunnel hastily constructed (laughs) by the Testar All-Weather Inflatable Structures Corp., which together with the folks over at AT... I'm going to pronounce this, I'm going to see this again, ASME Industrial Air Displacement uh, Devices, erects and services the inflatable dendriurethane dome known as the lung that covers the middle row of courts for the winter indoor season. Mm, you understand? Yes. It's, a, it's a big flappy thing. And that then it requires a pump room to inflate it. Indeed. Okay, I get it. Yeah, yes. yeah, I know. I can this picture, is a lot of geographical orientation. I can, I can picture one of those things in my head. Sure. The big, big tennis court covers. Yes. 
Uh, the crude little rough-sided tunnel between plant and pump is traversable only via all-force-type crawling and is essentially unknown to staff and administration, popular only with the Academy's smaller kids' tunnel club, <laughs> as well as with certain adolescents with strong secret incentive to crawl on all fours. The lung storage room is basically impassable from March through November because it's full of intricately folded dendriurethane lung material and dismantled sections of flexible ducting and fan blades, etc. The pump room is right next to it, though you have to crawl back out into the tunnel to get to it. On the engineering diagrams, the pump rooms may be about 20 meters directly beneath the centermost quartz in the middle row of quartz and looks like a kind of spider hanging upside down, an unfenestrated oval chamber with six man-sized curved ducts radiating up and out to exit points on the grounds above. And the pump room has six radial openings, one for each upcurving duct. Three two-meter vents with huge turbine-bladed exhaust fans bolted into their grills and three more 2Ms with reverse ASME intake fans that allow air from the ground above to be sucked down and around the room and up into the three exhaust vents. The pump room is essentially like a pulmonary organ or the epicenter of a massive six-vectored wind tunnel, and when activated, roars like a banshee that slammed its hand in a door. <laughs> <laughs> through, though the PR's in full legal operation only when the lung is up, usually November through March. The intake fans pull ground-level winter air down into and around the room and through the three exhaust fans and up the outtake ducts into networks of pneumatic tubing in the lungs, side, and dome. It's the pressure of the moving air that keeps the fragile lung inflated. When the quartz's lung is down and stored, Hal will descend and walk and then hunch his way in to make sure nobody's in the physical plant quarters, and then he'll hunch and crawl to the PR ba gear bag in his teeth and activate just one of the big exhaust fans and get secretly high and exhale palely through its blades into the vent so that any possible odor is blown through an outtake duct and expelled through a grilled hole on the west side of the west courts, a threaded hole with a flange where brisk white-suited ATHSCME guys will attach some of the lungs' arterial pneumatic tubing at some point soon when Stitt et al. on staff decide the real weather has moved past enduring for outdoor tennis. This is all to say how smokes in the lung room. Yes, of course. And that you, it's hard to get to. Uh, during winter months, when any expelled odor would get ducted up into the lung and hang there conspicuous, Hal mostly goes into a remote sub-dormitory lavatory and climbs onto a toilet in a stall and ex exhales into the grill of one of the little exhaust fans in the ceiling. But this routine lacks a certain intricate subterranean covert drama. It's another reason why Hal dreads Interdependence Day and the approach of the Whataburger. <laughs> you like that? Interdependency, yes, it's very good. And the approach of the Whataburger Classic and Thanksgiving <laughs> and un unendurable weather and the erection of the lung. Recreational drugs are more or less traditional at any U.S. secondary school, maybe because of the unprecedented tensions, post-latency and puberty and angst and impending adulthood, etc., to help manage the intrapsychic storms, etc. <laughs> Since the place's inception, there's always been a certain percentage of the high-caliber adolescent players at ETA who manage their internal weathers chemically. Much of this is good, clean, temporary fun, but a traditional smaller and harder core set 
tends to rely on personal chemistry to manage ETA's special demands. Mm. Dexedrine or low-volt methadrine. Let's take that to a little footnote. Uh, methadrine, known usually as dr- drins, drins, i.e. lightweight speed, silert, tenuate, Fastin, Preludin, even sometimes Ritalin. It's worth an NB <laughs> that unlike Jim Trolch or the Preludin happy Bridget Boone, Michael Pemulus, out of maybe some queer sort of blue-collar street-type honor, rarely ingests any drins before a match, reserving them for recreation. Some people are wired to find heart-pounding, eye-wobbling, drin stimulation recreational. <laughs> mm? uh, and then we have a sub... <laughs> we have a sub... Footnote. Okay, that footnote has a footnote. For tenuate. How are the f- sub-footnotes labeled? Is that a. I, I? So, so it's now I to A? Five, I'm word footnote five, and now five, we're five, five A. a. Okay, great. Uh, for tenuate. Tenuate's the trade name of diethylpropion hydrochloride, Marion Merrill Dow Pharmaceuticals, technically a prescription anti-obesity agent, fire, favored by some athletes for its mildly euphoric and resources-rallying properties, without the tooth-grinding and hideous post-blood spike crash that the hairier-chested drins like Fastin and Silert inflict, though with a discomfiting tendency to cause post-spike ocular nystagmus. Nystagmus or no nystagmus, tenuates a particular favorite of Michael Pemulus, who hoards for personal ingestion every 75-milligram white tenuate capsule he can lay hands on and does not sell them or trade them except sometimes to roommate Jim Trolch, who nags Pemulus for them and also goes into Pemulus's special entrepote yachting cap and promotes still more of them on the sly, a couple at a time, feeling that they help his sports color commentary loquacity, which secret (laughs) promotions Pemulus knows about all too well and is biding his time to retaliate, never you fear. This this is all a lot of low-key character building. but Yeah, no, I'm, I'm getting some stuff from this. We'll, we'll meet Trolch is really, he's a tennis student, but he's really get, trying to become a tennis, tennis commentator. commentator. Yeah, and he's using these diet pills to uh, improve his performance. To improve his loquacity. Um, oh, God. Okay, so we were just talking about methadrine. Before matches and benzodiazepines, let's go back to the footnotes, footnote number six. Benzodiazepines, lightweight tranks, Valium 3 and Val Release, good old dependable Xanax, Dalmane, Buspar, Cerax, even Halcyon, legally available in Canada, unbelievably, still. With those kids inclined toward a heavier slide, Reds, Meprospan, Happy Patch Transdermals, Milltown, Stelazine, the odd injury script Darvon, never lasting for more than a couple seasons for the obvious reasons that serious tranks can make even breathing seem like too much trouble to go to. (laughs) The cause of a meaty percentage of trank-related deaths being attributed off the record by emergency room personnel to PS, or pulmonary sloth. (laughs) Wow. Your classic benzos. Classic benzos. All right. So we were talking about uh, methadrine before matches, benzodiazepines to come back down after matches with mudslides or blue flames at some understanding com-av night spot. Back to the footnotes. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, all right. Photo number seven. Top junior players are for the most part pretty cautious with alcohol, mostly because the physical consequences of heavy intake, like nausea and dehydration and poor hand-eye interface, make high-level performance almost impossible. 
Very few other standard substances have prohibitive short-term hangovers, actually, though an evening of even synthetic cocaine will make the next day's dawn drills very unpleasant indeed, which is why so few of ETAs hardcore do cocaine, though there's also the issue of expense, though many ETAs are the children of upscale parents. The children themselves are rarely flush with money from home, since the gratification of pretty much every physical need is either taken care of or prohibited by ETA <laughs> itself. It's worth maybe noting that the same people hardwired to enjoy recreational drins also tend to gravitate more toward cocaine and methadrine and other engine revers, while another broad class of more naturally higher-strung types tend toward more the edge-beveling substances, tranks, cannabis, barbiturates, and, yes, alcohol. I'm talking substances. Uh, it's a lot of the beginning of this book has been about drugs. <laughs> exploring neuroses around uh, uh, substances. Right. Uh, so yeah, m- mudslides or blue flames at some understanding comab night spot or beers and bongs in some discreet academy corner at night to short circuit the up and down cycle. Mushrooms or X or something from the mild designer class. Back to footnotes. Footnote number eight, i.e. psilocybin, happy patches. <laughs> Not sure if that's a real thing. I don't think it is. Uh, MDMA slash ecstasy. Bad news though. X. Various low tech manipulations of the benzene ring in methoxy class psychedelics, usually home makeable. Synthetic dickies like MMDA, DMA, DMMM, 2CB, paradot I through si- <laughs> paradot one through six, etc. Though note this class doesn't and shouldn't include CNS rattlers like STP. DOM, the long infamous West U.S. Coast grievous bodily harm, gamma hydro, gamma hydroxybutyric acid, GHB, uh, LST twenty five or thirty two, or DMZ slash MP. Enthusiasm for this stuff seems independent of neurologic type. <laughs> and there's a sub note for happy patches, which is homemade transdermals, usually MDMA or mus- muscimol. With DDMS or the over-the-counter, over-counter available DMSO as the transdermal carrier. We're just talking about all kinds of drugs. Uh, so something from the mild designer class, or maybe occasionally a little black star. Black star, aka LSD twenty-five, often with a slight drin kicker added. Called Black Star because in Metro Boston, the available acid usually comes on chip-sized squares of thin cardboard with a black stenciled star on them, all from a certain shadowy node of supply down in New Bedford. (laughs) All acid and grievous bodily harm, like cocaine and heroin, come into Boston mostly from New Bedford, Massachusetts, which in turn gets most of its supply from Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is the true lower intestine of North America, Bridgeport. Be advised if you've never been through there. <laughs> we drove through there last, this weekend. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, whenever, so list of all these drugs, blah, blah, blah. Whenever there's a match and demand free weekend to basically short out the whole motherboard and blow out all the circuits and slowly recover and be almost neurologically reborn and start the gradual cycle all over again. This circular routine, if your basic wiring's okay to begin with, can work surprisingly well through your adolescence and sometimes into one's, like, early 20s before <laughs> it starts to creep up on you. But so some ETAs, not just Hal and Condensa by any means, are involved with recreational substances, is the point. Like, who isn't at some life stage in the USA and interdependent regions in these troubled times, for the most part? Though a decent percentage of ETA students aren't at all, i.e., involved, 
Some pe- some persons can give themselves away to an ambitious pursuit and have that be all the giving themselves away to something they need to do. <laughs> Sorry, I love that. Uh, though sometimes this changes as the players get older and the pursuit more stress-fraught. American experience seems to suggest that people are virtually unlimited in their need to give themselves away on various levels. Some just prefer to do it in secret. Mm. Mm. An enrolled student-athlete's use of alcohol or illicit chemicals is cause for immediate expulsion, according to ETA's admissions catalog. But the ETA staff tends to have a lot more important stuff on its plate than policing kids who've already given themselves away to an ambitious, competitive pursuit. The administrative attitude under first James Incandenza and then Charles Tavis is, like, why would anyone who wanted to compromise his faculties chemically even come here to ETA, where the whole point is to stress and stretch your faculties (laughs) along multiple vectors? Back to the footnotes. Footnote number 10. Like most sports academies, ETA maintains the gentle fiction that 100% of its students are enrolled at their own ambitious volition and not that, say, of, for instance, their parents, some of whom, tennis parents, like the stage mothers of Hollywood legend, are bad news indeed. Mm. And since it's alumni, it's the alumni pro-rectors who have the most direct supervisory contact with the kids, and since most of the pro-rectors themselves are depressed or traumatized (laughs) about not making it into the show and having to come back to ETA and live in decent but subterranean rooms off the tunnels and work as assistant coaches and teach laughable elective classes, which is what the eight ETA pro-rectors do when they're not off playing satellite tournaments or trying to make it through the qualifying rounds of some serious money event, And so they're morose and low on morale and feel bad about themselves often as a rule. And so also not that all that surprisingly tend to get high now and then themselves, (laughs) though in a less covert or exuberant fashion than the hardcore students chemical cadre. But so given all this, it's not hard to see why internal drug enforcement at ETA tends to be flaccid. The other nice thing about the pump room is the way it's connected by tunnel to the pro-rector's rows of housing units, which mean men's rooms, which means Hal can crawl, hunch, and tiptoe into an unoccupied men's room and brush his teeth with his portable Oral-B and wash his face and apply eye drops and Old Spice and a plug of wintergreen Kodiak and then saunter back to the sauna area and ascend to ground level looking and smelling right as rain because when he gets high, he develops a powerful obsession with having nobody, not even the neurochemical cadre, know he's high. This obsession is almost irresistible in its force. The amount of organization and toiletry lugging he has to do to get secretly high in front of a subterranean outtake vent in the pre-supper gap would make a lesser man quail. (laughs) Hal has no idea why this is, or whence, this obsession with the secrecy of it. He broods on it abstractly sometimes when high, this no-one-must-know thing. It's not fear per se, fear of discovery. Beyond that, it all gets too abstract and twined up to lead to anything, Hal's brooding. Like most North Americans of his generation, Hal tends to know way less about why he feels certain ways about the objects and pursuits he's devoted to than he does about the objects and pursuits themselves. It's hard to say for sure whether this is even exceptionally bad, this tendency. At 0015 hours to April, the medical attaché's wife is just leaving the Mount Auburn Total Fitness Center, 
having played five six-game pro sets in her little mid-east diplomatic wife tennis circles weekly round robin, then hung around the special silver key members lounge with all the other ladies, unwrapping her face and hair and playing Nargis. <laughs> an involved Arab women's game involving little shells and a quilted game board, rather like Mahjong without rules, by the diplomatic and medical husband's estimate. <laughs> that was footnote 11. Uh, playing Nargis and all smoking Keef and making extremely delicate and oblique fun of their husband's sexual idiosyncrasies, laughing softly with their hands over their mouths. The medical attache at their apartment is still viewing the unlabeled cartridge, which he has rewound to the beginning several times and then configured for a recursive loop. He sits there, attached to a congealed supper, watching at 0020 hours, having now wet both his pants and the special recliner. Uh-oh. 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 Bum, bum, bum. Is that enough for, for one oh, sesh? Yeah. That's a, this is a long one. We're Great. at 28 minutes. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Uh, as I was saying earlier, this a, a lot of this book seems to be uh, so far involved in describing the various neuroses around substance and use. DFW went he he's obvious he's definitely done some kind of program, but I kind of forget how much of an addict he was. Yeah, but it's just funny that like I mean, he know he did, certainly knows, he knows all the kinds. He knows the and he also knows how to describe. Like he's clearly familiar with like a one-hitter and what its use would be. Yeah. I, I mean, he's not a guy who's going to write about shit and not be 100% in the know about everything that he that he's writing about. Yeah, even even stuff that he, you know, he might not have played um Nargis himself, but, but yeah. he probably searched or asked someone like, what would be a game that like Saudi women would play yeah, together? I, I don't know how you do would do research for that or just like how he describes how like the the lung is inflated and who would mm-hmm. build it and provide it and stuff. It's like all those all these details are just like so mind-bogglingly uh um real. Uh, but yeah. that's—I mean—I don't want to out myself as an ignorant is ignorant here, but I, I'm not sure how many of those uh, drugs described are real or not. I think some are fake. Some, some, some are, are definitely, definitely fake. Some are most of them are real. DMZ will meet again. That was at the end of the DMZ list of the like LSD type things. DMZ. DMZ. That's definitely not real. Okay. It's funny. I just I just recently read my year of rest and relaxation, which also what I completely forgot about Infinite Jest is like the obsession with the categorization and like detailing mm-hmm. of drugs, but specifically like prescription drugs. Right. Yeah, that's something that's in my year and relax uh, of rest and relaxation too. What is that? People are talking about that. My year of rest and relaxation. Oh, it's fabulous. It's yeah. about it's about a woman who decides to basically just like sleep for a year, okay. but it's way more psychotic like than most that. Most women, right? Oh, well, it sounds like everyone right now. I guess it's true. This is our year of rest and relaxation, whether we like it or not. Uh, I'm glad to learn more about the Enfield Tem- Tennis Academy. It's almost like it's a character itself. Almost, and it's almost like it's a it it the heart and lung uh, imagery suggests that it almost is like a body-like presence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I imagine, I mean, I imagine that it's going to take a, a more more malicious uh, uh, appearance in people's lives. This doesn't seem like a place where good things are happening to these these boys. Lots of secrets happening in those tunnels. In the tunnels. And like whatever ha- is happened between the um, the senior leadership the incandenzas that requires uh, Mrs. 
Denza's brother? Is it brother-in-law who is now so the headmaster? I was going to bring that up. He's it, In this section, He uh, Charles Tavis, Dr. Charles Tavis is referenced as her adoptive brother. Adoptive brother, but yes. But they are together sexually. Uh, yeah, because I feel like he has been referenced differently earlier mario when he had this his like sleepy conversation with hal was like i think the moms is happier now that she's with ct with ct so yeah that's a little weird right james and condenza has died before any uh, like any of this book is happening yeah though was he alive in the 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 mold eating he was alive and he was alive in the mold eating flashback and he was alive in the um conversation he was the professional conversationalist okay yes 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 who had the weird mask on yeah okay so yeah we have seen him before but i you know some some kind of i I imagine trauma has happened at the uh at the top uh the top of their family that is now being borne down on the the incandenza brothers yes uh as we will slowly learn more and i'm excited to meet for real these these peripheral tennis characters they're great james prufroy what is that guy's Name. There's G- Jim Trolch, Michael Pemulus. Michael Pemulus, yes. Yeah, there's some Who good is, shit. seems to be a bit of a dirtbag. He is a dirtbag. Good. He's, he's kind of a hero. Uh, I, or is I, he? I'm excited to learn more about Michael Pemulus. Uh, seems like he likes to party. In my head, I, I this is retcon, but like in my head, Michael Pemulus looks like a young Christopher Moltisanti for some okay, reason. Great. I'll like I'm just like vill- seeing villain. that in my head. Oh, that's another. That's a fun thing that we should do once we get a little further into it. Is do like casting. Yeah. Well, it's weird. I it, maybe this is just something I forgot, but like, he people don't get described their looks. Their looks don't just get described. Yeah, a lot. I don't think we've gotten uh, other than Oren's big leg and arm. Oren's a sexy. He's a sexy man, and I think the incandenses are described as being tan. Other than that, <laughs> probably really... from all the fucking tennis. Got to be outside a lot. Yeah, and he's his dad's from Arizona, so yeah. tanned Arizona tennis. Those tennis desert. Men. Desert so we got to go off a lot of uh, you know personality. Yeah, what what these people look like. Timothy that. Chalamet should play. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's funny that Timothy Chalamet is just like he's the boy. He, yeah, well, we've got the Hollywood boy now. I wonder if Tom Holland is feeling like he's his lunch is getting eaten a little bit. I mean, Tom Holland's like all wrapped up playing the the Spider Man, and meanwhile, uh, Timothy Chalamet is is available to be every other person male under twenty in every Hollywood movie for like three years. Although he's probably getting fucked by Corona too, because you know, you skip a year at that age and suddenly you look like no longer this adorable, ethereal, boy, ethereal waif boy, but suddenly yeah. you're, you're this sweaty on, on, on couth man. <gasps> that's a good point. That's, that's like when a, you know, a gymnast is one year off of peaking physically and they miss the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think Timmy, Timmy Shally's going to be okay. Can you yeah, imagine if he, he if he gets Marvel fied and has to like bulk up? It's <laughs> never totally uh, they'll never do that to him. That's yeah. so rude. Yeah. Um so yeah, Hollywood, get another boy. Uh someone find me a boy. So who can uh someone who can play Hal and Condenza? Oh, I don't I don't I don't even know enough about Hal other than that he's neurotic and gets more neurotic. And he likes to get high and secret and he's good at tennis. Yeah, he's good at tennis. Uh anything else you think is important to pull out from this? I like that you liked, uh, you chuckled at Interdependence Day. Interdependence Day. We'll yes. learn more I, about that. It's all, all of this stuff is, is very subtle now. I keep forgetting that this is technically a, like a dystopian future, uh, thing because mm-hmm. everything feels so normally described. So it's far. near, I, I think it's near future and people have tried to ascribe 
years to that's the stupid. why would you do that? which i'm like again like it's not it i know this is a, a yeah. book that is you have to piece together but not every book has to be solved yeah exactly well just because it was written at a time and it takes place in the quote the future it is a literally a fictional future from the time that the thing is written and therefore the years do not correspond to things yeah 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 i mean does he say it does he mention in the book like this this story was published in like some real time frame or something? No. I mean, there's definitely like there's a transition from like regular time to subsidized time, aka the year of the adult mm-hmm. dependent adult undergarment. One of the years is the Purdue Wonder Chicken. <laughs> yeah, I uh I I I find all that solving of a book very tedious and uh, yeah. unnecessary, especially for something like this. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a snooze. Boring. Um, all right, all right. Should we call it for this one? Yeah, this is a long one. Um, any business? Nope, probably not. Uh, the Infinite Cast Pod at gmail.com. Yes. Bye. Bye.